This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we finish our year of animation by looking at the groundbreaking hybrid of live action and animation with 1988's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name is Paul, and and somewhere out, um, somewhere I don't know, and a prisoner. He's like he's like one of those crystal prisons, like Zod. Is Steve? Hello, everyone. I don't know how I ended up in the crystal prison, but hello. I don't know. I just I just like when we first logged in, like I think you were using a tablet or a phone, and I just imagined you flipping through space, you know, at this time. But uh, and we have guests on the show on this a uh, very special edition of Invasion the Podcast. It's a crossover of sorts. We have uh, our our friends from At the Devil's Ball. Uh, we have uh, Nathaniel and uh, Samuel who are joining us. Um, and I'm this, we don't normally do like a video podcast. It's not going to go up on. on video but i'm having people look at me as i'm looking at them and it's just eye contact's awkward so welcome guys welcome to the show <laughs> hey good thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us uh, and yeah to your point uh uh eye contact's always awkward uh sam and i uh never like to look at each other i don't think so we more or less just stare off into space while we that's, talk like, that's why i write notes because <laughs> i can look at those instead yeah, yeah just yeah just shuffle paper like a Great. news broadcaster you know like you know it's just it's just in shuffle you know, paper i should i should bring in my um my uh harrison ford head that i have and just put it up on the wall <laughs> behind my computer and just stare at that uh, i have an old um it's from blockbuster it's a large harrison ford head from air force one and he is just judging everybody and and these people <laughs> off his plane yep. so i should bring that in Get uh, off my plate. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I have had the the, um, the fortune of coming on your guys' show a few times, uh, talk about yes. sleepwalkers and then holiday specials and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your guys' show is and what your goals are uh, with it, because um, you guys come from a, a, a very much a, a, um, a point of positivity that Steve and I strive for. We don't always quite get there. We don't usually get entirely there ourselves. It's, it's, it's hard to to put away the snark completely when you're watching some stuff. Um, and we both, you know, live our lives by mystery science theater rules. Um, so sometimes it's a little difficult to do that, but yeah, we try to come at it as fans and constructively and not just get like, you know, cinema sins or, uh, you know, angry video game nerd about things, even yeah, if that's, I don't like them, you know, it's more like what our, our style is more like in comparison. We're trying to do what other people don't or, or uh, from the word go, we decided that it, there was way too many kind of like white nerdy dudes, uh, taking a dump on all kinds of, uh, on media, particularly in the horror genre where, uh, I don't know if anybody's on Twitter, but like the best people to follow on Twitter in terms of horror fans are like women and uh, LGBT people because they love this stuff and they actually have something interesting to say. And then this is the white guys being like, uh, well, actually that nightmare on Elm street was the worst of the franchise. And it's, right. so we, 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 so what our thought process was always to just not be that guy. 
And so we try to be positive. We try to be constructive. Uh, we're both big on um, on uh, analysis. And so um, while we do poke fun at the movies, we try to make sure, much like Mystery Science Theater or Rift Tracks, uh, we believe it's all with love. So even if we're like, you know, that's really stupid, we, we mean it with the most love we can possibly monster so yeah like you know the first two episodes i was on was uh two of the two the, the two worst nightmare on elm street movies and yeah, then almost you know not a month yeah. later we did one of my least favorite movies ever hocus pocus so <laughs> yeah that, actually, that, that was fun <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, mention that uh uh before we started recording there was a discussion about something that's coming up uh, in a future show that uh, is going to be hard for me to probably find positivity about. But um, listening to your guys' uh, particularly the episode about the remake <coughs> of Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. I was really, really impressed with your guys' approach. Um, not that I would, you know, it's not that I would be willing to just sit there and shit on it, but it's, it's really hard to find something good about that movie. And I remember, uh, you know, the first time I watched it, there was a moment you brought it up actually in the episode, Nathaniel, where there was a possibility that Freddie might have actually been executed and had been innocent. Right. And in that moment, I was like, I, I had the same thought watching the moment. I'm the movie. I'm like, oh, this is somewhere new that they're going with it. That's yeah. a really cool idea. And then they took it right back, and I was yeah, they backed instantly way angry. away from it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to commend you guys because that's a tough well, movie you. to really find the positivity for, and uh, yeah. you guys did a really was- good job with it. That was a little well, th- thank you. Uh, uh, we, we we love hearing nice things about the show. So um, we uh, anytime you want to just like pop into our DMs and just be like, hey, you guys are doing great. Like, I think it would really help. <laughs> so, or even if we're not doing great, just tell us we are. That's just fine. tell us we are. Yeah, you guys are awesome, man. But, but I think Boy, by this point, I think by this point, we've both done movies on the show that we per- personally haven't cared for in one way or another. I've, we have, but, I have, but still I have, done yeah. positive. You know. I have yet to do one. I think that I absolutely hate. Um, right. I did on my other podcast uh, that I do, but um, I, I for with us, we haven't done a movie that I am like, oh my god, that movie is a pile of, of garbage. Um, which is interesting that we haven't done that yet. Maybe we should do that. Maybe you should yeah. find one. But Death Wish Five. That's the one you guys should cover. <laughs> the the face of death. Oh that's the one. But the, is that the Eli Roth one? No, no, that's no, the remake. That's the remake. Uh, oh. Now, uh, Samuel is on our show uh, when we did our year of canon, uh, where we'd watch canon films over the course of a year, and w- there was some fun stuff in there. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, not so fun stuff in there too. But he picked uh, Death Wish three, which is ridiculous. Um, I, I would say almost oh, Death Wish four is even comical. There's more yeah. ridiculous, but uh, but yeah. So uh, yeah, there's 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 gold in those hills sometimes, right? So uh, yeah. with that being said. Um, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, you know, plug your guys' show again at the end and, and pimp it all out and people should listen to it. Cause if you guys like, you know, good commentary and, and thoughts and discussions like, yes, at the devil's ball, if you want a bunch really? of just drunken stammering idiots, uh, saying things that may or may not make sense, listen to this show. So, um, well, that's also that that's, that's upcoming. That's the new uh, innovation on at the devil's ball. Is the, is the drinking uh, and, and stammering? Drink, yeah. Dr- yeah dr- <laughs> drinking and stammering and, uh, and probably just like a string of F bombs. That's going to be like our avant-garde, uh, <laughs> Uh, we're gonna go artsy, and uh, but yeah, Steve. Sorry you to interrupt. They, your... call, they called us artsy. Did you hear that? Like with yeah, the way I'm, we, we I'm, care. Yeah, I'm a... <laughs> sorry to interrupt your segue. Uh, mm-hmm. 
No, no, no. I mean, did, we're, did you say fartsy? Fartsy, yeah. yeah. That, we're fartsy as shit on this show. That's <laughs> yeah. what we are. Yeah. Um, so well, I think I think we did our supernatural our special on the supernatural episode, and I'm pretty sure I just let out a loud belch at one point in the show, and right. I didn't bother didn't bother to edit it out. So I think it's probably out. Well, there that's so that's far. the fun thing about the specials. They're a little more loose. We get a bunch of people <laughs> on and just kind of you know go. That's the only. That's the only ones I've ever. That's the only ones I drink on. I, I will have beer for uh, uh, not for our normal episodes, but I'll have a beer or a drink while we do our guest ones because that's that's a party. It's a party, yeah, yeah. I just believe I get smarter the more I drink, so that's why I try to always heavily invest on the front end of each show to see how smart I get at the end. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Um, I'm a genius by the end. No, not really. <laughs> it's like it's like um, the man with the X-ray eyes. Like you know, I can still see. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm staring at the yeah. face of God at the end of the episodes. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and he's got his hibachi out and everything. He's tailgating <laughs> you know, hours before. Um, so with our year of animation, which uh, you know we we normally would plan out what we were picking at, like each year a little bit more in advance. This one was a little bit more, a little bit more loose, and that's not it's not a bad thing. We've had some fun with this. Um, with we've covered a lot of different things on the show. We've covered some uh, uh, Studio Ghibli. We've covered uh, some um, some sweet uh, anime with Perfect Blue, which I'm sure Sam knows. And uh, Nathan, if you, if you do know, it's yeah, I do uh, know. Yeah, we've covered a lot of different things. And with this, like we felt like we were kind of a, like a, a point where where it's either challenge ourselves with something going into the very end of the year, or can we have some fun and celebrate something. So uh, we talked about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is what we're going to be talking about here. Um, and I think this is a good victory lap, and I think there's a lot to dig in here. But before we get there, I'm just going to ask like you guys, like what is what are your like favorite animated films? And then uh, we'll just springboard from that into into our discussion here. Like, do you have a couple oh, of favorite ones? Uh, favorite animated films. Um, I'm like. More of like I think if a fan of well I mean I got okay I'll, I'll say the uh, in my mind the the absolute Rosetta Stone of animated film is Spider Man into the Spider Verse. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen a an animated film that good, uh, and I was skeptical about it. And I remember I watched it last year when it hit Netflix, and I was blown away by how good it was. Um, so for me, I guess that would be my answer. Uh, I mean, I grew up with the Disney stuff that didn't do much for me, but I would also say who framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, I think if, if gun to my head, if someone were to be like best animated movie, I'd probably be like who framed Roger Rabbit, honestly. But. So Sam, I know you're going to say space jam and you're going to piss me off. I know that's what you're <laughs> actually, no, I was, I was thinking, I was, I was actually thinking of, uh, of a real answer and it hadn't occurred to me, but yes, yeah, space jam. No, come on. Give me uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, um, into the Spider Verse is a big one. Uh, Mask of the Phantasm, the Batman movie, yeah. is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, you know the classic Disney stuff like uh, Snow White and all them. Um, I although it's not a great movie, I have a particular love for the uh, Disney Robin Hood uh, film, just for being so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I okay. think those are kind of my big ones. Gotcha. I know I kind of put you guys on the spot, but you know, it, it, I think sometimes those are the, the truest answers where you ask somebody like, like just top their head. Yeah, you know, where I, we're at. I don't even think about animated film all that often. I, I don't no, watch. No, uh, I don't watch anime. Uh, Perfect Blue is great, but that's about one yeah. of the only animes I've liked. That Ghost of the Shell, you know. Uh, yeah, that's about where I'm at with that too. Like I was taken aback um, at how much I enjoyed that film because it's very like a Hitchcock yeah. film, right? And it's right, like, yes. so. I, yeah, I'm not. I there's probably other wonderful anime out there that I'm I'm not familiar with just because it's like I don't know. I don't have a radar for that. So I used to, I used to watch. I think they were probably on HBO or Showtime. But uh, 
all those Looney Tunes like movies that were basically clip shows with little bumpers, um, mm-hmm. like Bugs Bunny's One Thousand and One Ta- Rabbit Tales and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Do you guys remember those? Or yeah, they'd find different ways to recycle like all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, and and, uh, and Steve, I'm, I know I'm sorry. I'm leaving you in, on you know you're you're trapped in your crystal prison right now. Um, <laughs> Was, was there going to be anything else that you wanted to add in? Because I know what you and I have talked about. Let's see here. 11 other movies so far this year. You're going to no, say Wizards I, I, is your favorite, right? I wasn't going to actually jump in only because we've talked about it all year. And okay. I'm, I'm assuming that our listeners probably know my thoughts uh, okay. on uh, animated films. I mean, how many times can I talk about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm? You know? mm-hmm. And uh, I think you just made a new best friend with... Uh, Nathaniel's answer with the uh, into the spider verse. So oh, of course, <laughs> <laughs> also the, uh, the, in general, those, uh, the DC animated movies they've made in the last couple of years have been stellar too, for the most part, like some really great stuff there too. So I feel like almost feel like superheroes are, are better suited for animation than they are live action, but that's an entirely different podcast. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure Steve yeah. could do three hours on that. That would be great. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so yeah. So we're gonna take a look here at this uh, this uh, hybrid. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's uh, very groundbreaking and it's a lot of fun. And it's a film I've not visited for a couple years. And I will, after we listen to the trailer, um, I'm gonna tell a story that I know Steve knows. I know Sam knows. Nathaniel, you don't know this, but it's something that's been sure. my cross to bear because of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and another movie I'd mentioned that just made Sam laugh. So we're going to listen to the trailer and I'm going to tell the story and then people can can make fun of me. So here we go. It's a here trailer. Mommy's going to the beauty parlor, darling. But I'm leaving you with your favorite friend, Roger. He's going to take very, very good care of you. Because if he doesn't, he's going back to the science lab. you baby herman you were great you were perfect you were better than perfect just roger he keeps blowing his lines roger what's this a tweeting bird eating bird roger read the script look what it says it says rabbit gets clunked rabbit sees stars not birds stars can we lose the playback please you're killing me killing me but crying out loud roger how the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene no i'll be in my trailer Taking a nap! Excuse me, Please, I can give you stars. Just drop the refrigerator in my head one more time. Roger, I dropped it on your head 23 times already. I can take it. Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the refrigerator. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective stay out. named Eddie Valiant. Ooga booga! Every moment they were together... A new adventure in trouble. Hide me, Eddie. Please. It's a motion picture about friendship. Please, Eddie. Don't tell me I'm making a big mistake. Love. <laughs> Compassion. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. Choose. Get 
him every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. I'm a pig! I'm a tomb! I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I'm glad that we got the first five minutes of the film in the beginning of that trailer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, well, that trailer. It's diff- it's different than uh, nowadays, where you know the trailers tell you every goddamn thing that happens. I mean, that's fair. Um, uh, yeah, just if you listen to that trailer though without watching it, there's just a lot of random sound effects. You're like, I don't know what's going on, you know. So uh, yeah. So so the story, real quick, before we get into the movie improper, is that uh, uh, Sam, myself, and Steve, we all live in you know the the wonderful state of Ohio, and relatively close to each other. And there's a local Cleveland um, cinema chain that um, that's uh, they uh, they show a lot of art house movies, a lot of things. They'll do like Saturday night films. And one year they did um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then like the next month they showed Space Jam. Um, and so when I went to go see Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was fun to see in the theater, it was wonderful. Uh, but it was like the theater was like, I don't know, like maybe maybe a fourth full, maybe if that. Then like the next month I went to go see Space Jam, a film I had never seen before at that point. And it was like the theater was almost packed. And I, and I just looked around and I'm like, I, I just felt confused, like thoroughly confused because like of the two. And so because of this, because of my uh, being flabbergasted, I posted on social media. And for whatever reason, because the Space Jam has been like my cross to bear because of my comparison to the crowd size of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So um, and Sam has never let me forget this. Never. No, it's it's your hocus pocus. <laughs> yeah, to the point he even drew me a like almost what you'd find like on a boardwalk, like an artist. He drew a picture of me in a Toon Squad jersey and gave it to me. So, it's and it been, said Paul Jam. Yep, wonderful. Anyway, so yeah. yeah, he loved it so much. Yeah, Steve, remember it was up in my old office. It was like always looking down on me when we were recording. So that's right. Yeah. So all right, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, nineteen eighty eight. Um, Robert Zemeckis is the director. Uh, never heard of him. Just kidding. No. Uh, produced by Spielberg, uh, released by Touchstone, which is like an arm of Disney. Uh, we have Bob Haskins as Eddie Valiant, Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom, Joanna Cassidy as Dolores, which here today blew my mind. Didn't realize she was Zora and Blade Runner. She was the one yeah. that got chased through all the glass and had the snake. I did not know that. Uh, Charles Fleischer as the voice of, the, of Roger Rabbit. Uh, and then we also have um, actually a few others uh, here. There's a lot of people in this, but we also have, um, oh, what's her name? As the voice of Jessica Rabbit, uh, Kathleen Turner, right? She did yes. the uncredited voice. So, um, yeah, I just what like where to start with this film. It is, it's a... It's a crime noir film set in the 40s in, in Los Angeles. Uh, it, you know, there's a murder mystery. Uh, there is the hard-boiled detective of Eddie Valiant, uh, played by Bob Haskins, who is like four foot five, but you don't want to mess with him. Um, he doesn't have a gun in his holster. He has a bottle of uh, a night, uh, sorry, a wild turkey in his holster. Yeah. 
And yeah, he has some uh, skeletons in his closet and he's been brought out to investigate some shenanigans amongst tunes because tunes are a commodity and they're real life and they, uh, they affect those of people around them. Um, so yeah, I don't know where, where do, where do we want to start with this? I'm going to Steve, where, where do we start with this? You're going to lead this whole entire thing now. Go. So you talked about your experience of seeing it uh, on the big screen at the Capitol. Uh, my question to you guys is, did any of you get to see it back in the theater in 88? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have very fond memories of this movie, uh, seeing it in the theater. I've, I've talked about this on the show before. My older brother worked at the local movie theater in my hometown from 85 to 89. So I got to see a lot of movies for free and I got to go to the movies multiple times as a way to, you know, just get the kids out of the house kind of thing. It's right. free. Um, but I remember I have very distinct memories of seeing this in the theater and just being blown away by, uh, not only the animation, just the, the idea as a whole, I think really captivated me as a kid. And I was, I, I know that I'm, I'm going to wager that I'm older than all of you. I'm pretty sure I am. I'm 46. So I was, 13 going on 14 when this came out. I thought you were going to say you're 13 going on 46. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> fair. that's fair. But I, I remember uh, I saw it multiple times. And I also remember, I want to say, and you know, obviously the world's so different now, and I'm not even just talking about 2020. I'm talking about just the way films come, come and go to theaters. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it at like the end of its run and theaters were still half full. And I, I remember just being like, I, I know I saw this like five months ago, but it's still in the theater and people are still going to it. And uh, I just uh, I always think of that when I think about movies and how, you know, everything is now dependent upon the first week's box office and, and things can come and go within weeks of each other. Uh, that was a movie that played all summer long and did well all summer long. Um, right. So I, I thought maybe that might be a good way to talk about it. Just, you know, what you guys' early memories of it were and, you know. Um, I actually saw it. I saw it three times in the theater. Um, the first time was when it like you know was fresh. I don't know if it was the first weekend or the second or the you know whatever. I was, uh, and then I saw it at the discount theater when it got to there. And then um, they used to run during the summer. They would run like you know uh, movies during the day, like uh, matinees for kids, basically where they do you know family friendly movies for like a couple of bucks each, you know. And they did that the next summer. I think they I, I watched it there again. Okay, so Nathaniel, did you see this in the theater originally when it came out, or no? Uh, yeah, I, I saw the movie when it came out that uh, that summer. I don't remember the exact circumstances. I'm pretty sure my my parents took me to see it. Um, 88, so I would have been six or seven. Um, but yeah, like, and I really remember enjoying it. Uh, and I, when I rushed the movie last night and took notes, I mean, I realized that, like, what's interesting about this film is that it's like a family friendly film that's not that family friendly. Um, but like, it, for me, the idea, I think back in, in those days was, uh, you know, Donald Duck and Daffy on screen together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Mickey and, and Bugs on screen together. That was everything. And then you get older and you're like, that film noir story is great. Right. So, but yeah, I saw the film then um, and uh, and really enjoyed it. And uh, it, it came, occurred to me last night watching it again that I had um, 
I could still quote half the damn movie. <laughs> so I saw this movie so many times as a kid that I actually think I, I could still quote half of it. So. Yeah, I, I kind of burned myself out on the movie. I hadn't watched it in about five or six years. And yeah. I barely watched it as an adult. And I, I watched it for this. And I'm like, why why have I not been watching this? And I realized it's, I've just watched it so many times as a kid on VHS. Yeah, I, I, asked my, I asked my girlfriend to watch it with me. And she was like, eh. And I'm like, what's wrong with the Frame Roger Rabbit? She's like, I've seen that movie so many times. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's and it's a personal favorite of my wife. Like she even has a, a Jessica Rabbit tattoo on her leg. For goodness' sake, she has yeah. so many different uh, Jessica Rabbit artworks and everything. So it's 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 been a staple in our house. Uh, yeah. But I hadn't watched it in a little bit. W- with that being said, that your description of it being a family friendly movie that's not really family friendly. Watching this now as a grown up, um, what are the like you talked talked about the film noir story? Watching yeah. this was kind of like like reset fresh eyes. What are those elements that come out to you now watching as a grown-up versus a kid um, that really stand out? Because I, I watching it, I had some of those moments too watching it. Oh, well, so many. <laughs> yeah, so many. But the primary one I think is the alcoholism. Uh, I don't think I don't think you pick up on that as a kid uh, at all. Uh, and in fact, that other characters are literally openly mocking him. For being an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. He asked. Uh, he asked the grocer and the barber where where Eddie Valiant was, and nobody knew. And they said, "Then I went to the liquor store, and he well, knew where he you knew, were." Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, in the even in the opening sequence when he's getting the case right. from RK RK Maroon, uh, and he he eyes the bottles behind him and like licks his lips as yeah. RK Maroon is still talking to him, and he crosses behind him, picks it up, and has it in his hand, but still waits for the permission. But the guy's like, have a drink, Eddie. And he's like, don't mind if I do. And he, right. um, and of course, it's a character arc because eventually he, when he decides to get his get himself together, he, he shoots the bottle and is better. But I think that's the one. There's also the obvious sexualization of Jessica Rabbit um, and that whole seedy femme fatale sexuality is something I don't think you get as a kid. Right. Um, the patty cake joke alone, it, it's fun. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's funny for a kid. I think, you know, yeah, oh, you they're playing patty cake a, even as and a kid, Roger, and, but not what well, the idea that Roger to. rabbit would be upset that his wife would play patty cake. You think of that as a tune concept, like the cartoon would be like, right. you know, but then when you get older and you realize what we're really talking about is supposed to be sex, but twisted into a weird childlike way. So, I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff that I almost feel like if I were a father, and thank God I'm not, um, I would be nervous the whole time being like, is the kid get is the kid getting ideas on this film? This came out in, what, 88? Yeah, 88. So, yeah, I was 11, so I kind of knew, you know, what they were talking about with the patty cake, but you don't really emotionally figure that out as much as when you're an adult. Yeah. The, the big thing for me watching this as an adult that I've never really thought about or picked up on before is... Um, Segregation. <laughs> yeah. uh, the tunes are basically segregated and doing minstrel shows yes. um, on the side to make money, and that's like that's 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 real freaking big, <laughs> real real dark undertones of this yeah, whole ex- thing. Ex- complete exploitation, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and- I mean they live in their toontown, which is basically you know, it's not it's not a ghetto by you know quality, <laughs> but it's, it's a and ghetto. The- and the tunes don't actually have agency even there. Right. Toontown is owned by RK Maroon. Right. Um, they live in the company town. No, Acme. It's yeah, owned by Acme. Acme. Acme yeah. Uh, and the entire plot of the movie is they're like, well, he said he'd leave us. 
the and like the bad guys like you yeah. don't get you don't get anything you're it is, tunes. it's something yeah. obviously that they they knew they were writing into it because yes. they're writing a film to wire and part of the plot is that you know they want to tear down toontown and build a highway yeah. um if if you've ever looked into the way they build cities and the way they built highways they used to purposely put them through the black neighborhoods to break them up and to cut them off yeah so uh steve now that um sam's brought up racism (laughs) what what other things like (laughs) what other things stand out to you can you can you go can you go darker this is steve this is what we do yeah (laughs) steve can you just go darker can you just make this even worse (laughs) now like can we talk about this (laughs) I, I was going to talk about how much fun Bob Hoskins is in the movie, but it, it, it seems a little light now. Um, Sorry. You know, honestly, I, I, Rich, I had I I've lived with this movie for what thirty two years. Uh, I did not pick up on that, and you're absolutely right. I'm listening to you talk about it, and I'm like, son of a bitch, how did I not pick up? How did I? I watched this yesterday. How did I not pick up on it yesterday? Like, yeah. Because you still think when when it's movies that you grow up on and movies that you've watched and loved your whole life, it's hard not to 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 take your brain out of like where you were when you first watched it. At least yeah. for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and how you first in, um, interpreted it as a child or as like in your case a, a teenager, mine would be a tween. You know, it's it's hard to look at it completely fresh if you watched it so many times because you just fall into the rhythm of the thing and you just you know. Sorry, but go ahead. <laughs> I apologize. No, no. I mean, you bringing it up. I mean, there's something that yeah, we don't talk about it too much on here, but I'm always, I'm always surprised uh, coming from a comic book background when there are people who are trying to exclude others from reading comic books, and yes. I'm always like, you read the X Men, right? You know what those comics are about, right? Like, and then they don't. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just, you know, with this, I it never occurred to me. I mean, it's great that there's, you know, I don't know if there's technically a message here, but there's that it's a p- part of the movie and I never picked up on it. So, um, yeah, I, I that's a very good point. And uh, the next time I watch it, I'm going to have that in my head because I certainly did not think of it when I was watching it this first this last time. I'm not I'm not sure they were really thinking of it in that way. I feel like the metaphor probably has more to do with. It just turns out to also be that. But I think that it really what it's probably trying to more talk about is we want to tear down Toontown uh, whimsy, whimsy and childhood wonder in order well, I mean, to create our main capitalistic. Char- our, our main character is racist against two. He is. He is to not be. Yeah, I yes. mean, you can't say that, you know, race isn't a part of it. And uh, it might have just been because they pulled from actual history from Los Angeles where they, you know, the automobile companies tried to run the public transport out of town, but um, which, which, I, is, which is true. Like, yeah. That's yeah. They uh, it's it's funny that like for a film I've not seen uh, uh, that they based a lot of like the the trappings of this '40s like big mystery like mm-hmm. around like Chinatown. So it's like right. you're gonna go to this like this this movie and be like, we're gonna make a family friendly movie that our skeleton is from Chinatown. Let's just do that, you know. Right. And uh, but yeah, yeah. like and a for lot guys, of, yeah, for guys ahead. our age. Um, you know, this and Chinatown and Blade Runner, these are what we think of when we think of noirs, but they're actually like, you know, second or third wave. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're homages to the, the classic ones. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, Jake. It's Toontown. No, anyway, so uh, <laughs> right. anyway, I, like that. That's there. I um, just like when I made the joke about uh, um, Valiant having instead of the gun in his holster, he has the uh, the wild turkey. I forgot about that, um, and it just shows you that like he just that's that's his go to weapon. <laughs> it's just his right. his alcohol, um, and they give him they give him a moment of where it's like yeah, everybody makes fun of him and, and kind of shits on him because he used to be a tune detective. And now yeah. he's not when he's at the bar and the one guy's just giving him grief and how he just takes that guy out on like two steps. It's like, right. yeah, he might be washed up, but you do not mess with Eddie Valiant. And I think that was a good character beat to show that he can hold his own. So I thought that was great. Yeah. But there's even the bit too, whatever he's like, um, sitting at his desk and he takes out like the, the glass to set it down to like start drinking. And he looks at the bottom of the glass and it magnifies, uh, that image of the will of Marines right, yes. will. And I, I, I was like, I was watching this time. I was like, wait, you're telling me alcoholics can solve problems. I don't think that's really <laughs> the message of the movie, right. but there's just like these moments of like, and then he actually has to go break out his actual detective equipment to no, go it, look at this. But it shows that as much as he wants to like, forget about himself, this is the kind of guy he is, you know? And I, I and that's the, that's the parts of this that kind of shown through for me this time. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just the, the, the detail and the setups, like having his brother's desk be dust covered, uh, with Roger saying yeah. like, what happened to him? And even the bit, we didn't, we're not even talking about the animation yet. The bit when Roger's hand touches the back of his brother's chair and he lifts his glove up, the, the mm-hmm. dust is removed. Right. Like, yeah. Like, it's like, I understand that, like that was just it. You don't think about that now because they can do that real easily. But it's like the thought that went into this movie yeah. and just the mm-hmm. inch by inch execution blows my mind. But yeah, it's yeah. Um, and and I'd also you speak about the, the 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 racism going here. I would also think this is speaking to the studio system collapsing mm-hmm. at that point too, right? Yes. So because Maroon had control of the tunes pretty much, because uh, you never you never heard another company out there. I mean, I know that. You know, it's Disney and Warner brothers, but you didn't hear about it in the context of this film. Right. So there's a lot of like actor ownership going on too. That's how they was trying to push Roger. Right. So yeah, there's a lot going on here that normally you don't get from, I don't know, like a quote unquote kids film. Cause I don't know if this is necessarily supposed to be a kid's yeah. movie, you know, uh, it's at all ages. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say, that's what I, I, I was thinking about when I was watching the movie last night. Um, I was thinking about the idea because I'd also uh, we're recording Gremlins later today. And uh, so I was like, there's two Steven Spielberg productions that I realized that Spielberg probably had the absolute has had more success than anybody in creating the all ages movie. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, That this is a film that can be watched by pretty much anybody over the age of 10 years old, maybe even a little bit younger. And they'll get something out of it in the sense that it's like a funny cartoon show with uh with a cartoon rabbit and a baby that has a cigar in his mouth and that's hilarious um even though it's not like it's like he's actually like a sex pervert um but, but, but when he, you he, he's also 40 years old he's a 40 year old yeah, baby with a, with a four-month-old dingus three-year-old dinky yeah right? just three-year-old like, dinky i forgot but, about uh, that line and watch until i was like holy shit yep that's uh yeah whew. Yeah, but, but then you got then you have this very serious story about the about uh, a washed up detective finding his way back into the world, and uh, and there's something there's way more there for the adults. But I feel like you know, yeah, it's it's an all ages film. I wouldn't necessarily call it a children's film. It's an all ages film. Right. And I don't know if anybody but Spielberg and Zemeckis have ever actually really been able to pull that off quite they, successfully. They, they really 
figured out the formula for it to yeah. like you said to where there's something in it for everybody and there's jokes yeah. that are going to go over kids heads that are you know adults are going to love you know etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean they're still kind of chasing that today with all the uh cgi animated films they're always trying to put you know popular people into it and have jokes for the adults well i don't know if you've watched the new <laughs> animaniacs yet the new animaniacs. not yet no uh, it's the same thing. It's it's just like the old Animaniacs, which right. again, Spielberg proving Spielberg knew what he was doing, where he was like, "Here's a wacky cartoon right. with a bunch of jokes for kids." But then, if the parents watch, there's gonna be some stuff that they're gonna be like, "Oh my god, they went there," right. and uh, that's uh, that's Sue Frame Roger Rabbit. That's what's that's Spielberg's legacy, in my opinion. So, Steve, you said you watched the new Animaniacs, right? Some of it. Yeah, I've I've only watched the first three episodes so far. We're we're taking it like week by week because uh, they threw them all up there at once. So we were only uh, watching like one episode a week. Okay, but yes, uh, absolutely what he's talking about, and I think I actually mentioned it on our show the week it debuted. Um, just that uh, there's a lot of poking at uh, the convention of the reboot as well uh, yeah, throughout the, the show. Uh, so I think there's a lot of fun for adults to be had with that, particularly since it's all shows that kids are probably watching now that their parents watched as they were kids. So it's building for multiple audiences. All right. So, Steve, I'm going to put this one to you since, um, you know, we, we got to some dark corners and you wanted to talk about um, Bob Hoskins. And I, I just <laughs> who, who was like who was the makeup department for Bob Hoskins like without his shirt on? Who did that? That's <laughs> as I said, he looks same from the back as he does from the front. Yeah, I want to be like, why they bring in like like the Peter Mayhew understudy to dress up as Bob Hoskins? That was terrifying. Well, uh, well, I, I I wanted... <laughs> please, go ahead. yeah, no, please go ahead, Steve. It's your show. Oh no, I was just laughing. So, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I was I just say, if there's say, if there's was... anything about Bob Hoskins. Um, that as a short, uh, overweight, uh, very, very furry man, as I am watching Bob Hoskins movies makes me think I could still be an actor. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And he's such a wonderful actor. Um, and by the way, what, uh, it, it, it's, that's another thing you'd never see in a movie today. You would never see uh, a short, overweight man with body hair. Uh, half naked in the sequence. What yeah. are the people they went after to get for the Bob Hoskins role of Eddie Valiant was Robin Williams. And at first I didn't see it. And then I got to that scene and I'm like, Oh, so they were just looking for a hairy guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they also like the Spielberg wanted to bring in Harrison Ford. Could you like th- think about the tone uh, of the film? No. Like it, man, like, I don't know if he could do no. that kind of like, cause the, there's the comedy bit at the end that yeah. you know, Hoskins sells it. There's a little bit of like, uh, there, there, he has a little bit of anger to it too when he's like delivering like his lines and his jokes. I don't think yeah. it would have landed the same way with Harrison Ford because I also don't think he would have no. been that animated with it. No, well, Harrison Ford's never been that animated, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that would have worked. I don't no. think this movie works with anybody but Bob Hoskins. No, he, I think he's a great. I think he's a great um, choice for this because also for someone that was supposed to be acting and gets nothing for a lot of the film, right? And yeah, we, right. we haven't even talked about the process, which I'm I'm ill-equipped to talk about how they did a lot of this. Um, he his emotions and just what you see the gears turning in his head, it works so much. And like he like um, they'd never forget that this is a detective story, and he's the detective, right? Trying to put yes. two and two together, and. 
Um, and then some of his some of his reactions to things too, like um, whenever he gets kissed by uh, Roger the first time, and just some of like he was he's so good at playing like the straight man too. Like there's there's a lot of yeah. he does so much heavy lifting, and a, and a film that's supposed to be this that it is a masterpiece of production and design. Yes. It, you, you would not think it 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 would not be as seamless without him being the glue that holds together. That's right. that's kind of where I, I feel about that. It, I also feel that it had to be a very um, arduous and frustrating film to shoot. Um, I, I didn't really look up to see what he had to say about the movie, but I mean, that had to be a nightmare to shoot. I mean, I could just imagine how long it took to to set up a shot, to set up the the little robots that were going to move the props so they can animate over them later. I mean, that had to be just a very taxing, to say oh, the certainly. least. Almost I mean, certainly, yeah. You hear stories about how much you know the cast of Elf hated the show because of how <laughs> hard it was to shoot, and this is like you know, at once basically. Yeah. Uh, so, so Steve, um, in terms of like the the animation and the production portion, like you, you, I'm sure you read a little bit about how they did this, where they they would uh, shoot it and then uh, like print it out in black and white, and then have the animators draw over it, and then they would do like actual shell cell like you know actual cell based animation and put it all together. Um, you as a colorist and, um, you know, inker on your book and also an artist in your own right, like, does this blow your mind to think about like how they, they did all this, um, from start to finish? Cause it has to blow your mind more than mine. Cause I don't understand half the process. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't want to not answer your question, but I want to go back real quick. Uh, cause I didn't get to say this about Bob Hoskins. The thing that I thought worked best about his performances is there's never uh, a wink in his eye to the audience. There's he's in the story. He there's a moment at the beginning of the film where um, I think it's Maroon asks him if he knows about show business and he says, <laughs> yeah, it's like no other business. I know at least no business I know. And or I just screwed up the line, but long story short, he gives it very straight and very like, there's no, there's no like winking at the audience. There's no, uh, he's building character and he's, he's telling us that he's in this world and it's, it's such a throwaway line, but he delivers, delivers it so wonderfully. And it, it's throughout his entire performance, the way that he not only just interacts with the characters, but the way he, um, gives us the character in his line ratings. I, I just, I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've watched a performance like this. It, and then I, I realized that I just got done like last week uh, talking about how much I loved Jeff Goldblum in The Fly and Gina Davis. But this is a completely different style of, of a performance. And I, I just I don't know. I, I don't know that when I watched this at 14 that I got all the nuance that he was putting into the character. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. OK. Um, so, and then yeah, the animation on the animation portion, side. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if any of you watched, uh, there's a like 30 minute documentary on Disney plus on the making of the film. Uh, that's one of the things that I'll, I'll give Disney plus credit for is, is that they're like, well, we've put out, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays of these films. We'll throw some of the special features on, uh, for the movies as well. And you don't see that with other streaming services. So, uh, I just think that's great that they make that stuff available for viewers as well. Um, but there's, a whole, you know, half hour documentary on the making of the film and just how arduous the process was. Um, I, I think some of the things that I thought were interesting was, uh, and I don't remember his name, but, uh, the gentleman that, um, Robert Zemeckis was 
consulting with on the animation, they had a whole discussion about not moving the camera. And the guy's like, well, you can move the camera. It's just a lot of work. And Zemeckis is like, well, why don't they do it? He's like, because people are lazy. He's like, it's hard work. He's like, we're going to do it. We'll do it for you. He's like, but the reason it's not done is it's just because it's hard and people don't want to, particularly when they're animating, they want to find the easiest way to do it because it's a lot of work. Um, the thing I think with the the robots that stuck with me the most was is uh, seeing the, the baby Huey robot uh, with the stogie um, and how they animated around that it was just mind-blowing. I'd never seen it with just the robot. And it's literally like a stick figure, like a, a, a metal stick figure that they're controlling with remote control holding onto a real stogie, and it's just moving around. And they animated around it. And it's, it's you know, they're, they're cartoon characters, so yes, you're going to have a flat line around them, and you're, they're not going to fit as well into the backgrounds as you would like. But also, those figures are also given shading and tone that you don't see in a lot of animation. Um, so they're taken to like a next level and particularly they're giving the shading and tone in the real world, but not the tune world, which is another, uh, brilliant thought on their part. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're shaded more realistically when they're in our world, but then they're, you know, flattened for, for the cartoon segments basically. Yeah. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm still impressed. And I understand why this has not been recreated now. Admittedly, I haven't seen cool world. I think that was an attempt at somebody trying <laughs> yeah, to do the same idea. Don't. <laughs> but yeah, uh, not I worth don't know it. anybody who talks about Cool World. But uh, with this, I'm just still just watching it. I'm still kind of just blown away that it's a you know again a 32 year old movie that still looks as good as I remember seeing it in 1988. Did they cover any of the 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 bit in the the nightclub where it shows the octopus turning out the drinks and like serving everybody? Because I remember seeing somewhere before that that was one of the hardest sequences to put together because it's an octopus with eight arms right. and it's like taking glasses down and serving drinks and moving everything around. And if I remember right, they're like, we, we don't have to show this. And they're like, yes, we do. Like, right. <laughs> there, there's a term I guess that they use now. And I, I wish I would written down cause I'm probably going to screw it up. It's uh, hitting the lamp. I think it was called or swinging the lamp where to, to describe them going into an effect that actually anybody would never notice because of that lamp scene where Roger hits the lamp and the the uh, the lighting changes around you know him and everybody else in the mm-hmm. scene. It was so much work and so hard to get, but they they want they all wanted to do it because it it would just lend you know reality to this this movie. And everybody was like, "Well, why are you doing this?" You know. Well, that's like what I mentioned whenever you see him pull his hand off uh, the Valiant's brother's chair and you see the actual handprint right. being left, and then. Uh, yeah, like there's just there's just bits where it's like we don't think about how like even the bit whenever Eddie's like supposed to be washing his laundry in his sink and Roger keeps mm-hmm. popping up and spitting water out. Um, I know that like I remember seeing that when they showed it, it was just like just a uh, just a spout head that pop up and then Haskins right. would have to shove back down. Um, and that's still crazy to me. And also knowing that Charles Fleischer was on set like dressed up as Roger Rabbit doing lines to give something for uh, Hoskins to work off of. I think it's yeah. also well, kind of the, fun too. All yeah. the voice actors, or at least a lot of the voice actors were there on set for all that stuff. But yeah, he dressed up like the rabbits, which is who needs that? <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, you know, like he said, he needed to get in character and that's fine. But, uh, right. But yeah, there, just there, just the the magic that goes on here, like even like the nightclub scene, like how they did like the three sixty shot of Jessica Rabbit as she's singing her nightclub song, that's crazy right. to me. How she pulls the tie, Valiant's tie, yeah. and between her fingers, it's like I 
I can't figure that out. And also I can't how, uh, Hoskins, like he just, like he is in the moment. Like you guys have mentioned, like it's the small moments here. I think I'm more in awe of than like the big set pieces. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say Jessica rabbit is, uh, is the only character that I think she, she did have somebody on set as her, but it was, uh, I, I wish I'd written down the name, but Kathleen Turner was not that person. Right. Uh, Kathleen Turner did all the audio and then uh, fun little fact for uh, horror film fans uh, the singing voice is Amy Irving who was the nice girl in Carrie yes. um, with Brian De Palma uh, actually married to Spielberg I think at the time no he must have already moved on to Kate Capshaw by that point but because um, Spielberg has been married like four times um, <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, whatever, whatever star he he fell in love with on his next picture. Yeah, I, I, um, I heard anyway, actually married Tom Hanks next. That's where he's actually going to move on to. And <laughs> now I'm never, now I'm never going to work for Steven Spielberg. Steven, I'm sorry, but um, uh, but yeah, it was it was Kathleen Turner, and then it was um Amy Irving doing that, and then they, there was a an actress uh, credited. But interesting fact, if you notice in the credits, uh, uh, Kathleen Turner is not credited. Yeah, I believe I believe David yeah. Prowse was on set, standing in for Jessica Rabbit. For yeah, no, Steve, that's for you. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another role he got taken from him, right? So anyway, um, so so yeah, like, uh, man, I don't know. Like, there's th- this film has changed. It changed the game in a lot of ways, right? For what could be done. Again, the industrial light and magic did have a hand in this, but in terms of like actual like. Uh, computer animation, there really wasn't any. This thing, like a lot of it was like, yep. you know, so right. I I wanted to speak to two things here. One, this had to be storyboarded like the hell out of it for everything to work oh, right, yeah. right? Because you talk about Zemeckis yep. wanting like dynamic camera moves and everything because yeah. you need that because it's a film, you know? It's not mm-hmm. a stage play, right? And then also, like, just, uh, didn't, man, that and also... Um, uh, there was, I had another point too. I lost it. I apologize. But yeah, just the storyboarding that had to, to go into this is just utterly amazing. And then also the details that pay off. There's so much shit in this movie that they introduce that all of it pays off. And maybe it's just because the, the movie's been around long enough and you can kind of dig into it. I don't, where is like, there it seems like it's a thing that's been uh, lost in a lot of modern storytelling where they don't always set up things that I don't know. There's not a lot of attention to small details that end up impacting the story later. I don't see that in a lot of modern movies that I feel like there was a, str- a thing in like the eighties and nineties where there's a lot of bigger movies that came out where they actually showed you like the bit whenever Christopher Lloyd's character, judge doom, when he first um, steps on the eyeballs and he's talking to Eddie at the end and he slips this for a second and he goes back to talking right. And then he yeah. goes back and that's when he falls down. Like, I don't know if they would have set that up that way this time around no. to give you that detail of like, oh, he, cause at first it looks like Christopher Lloyd just messed up and then it actually yeah. pays off. Like, uh, the portable yeah. hole, like the, 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 the was it the one hammer that has the punching bag or the, you know, like right. there's all this shit that they show you in the beginning that could have just been one off jokes that it all comes back. And I'm just blown away right. by those two things. So that's where I was going. So that just shows the level of care involved in every aspect. I mean, I mean, in terms of not using, I feel like they still do it. I mean, in modern film, they still do set up stuff in the first act and use it by the third. I mean, that's the old, uh, Chekhov, Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, but to the, I think to your point, uh, I do see where you're coming from in the idea that 
particularly in this film, uh, to set up these uh, gags, literal, literal gags in this case, not just like film version gags, but like a hammer with a that shoots out a, a cuckoo clock and uh, and a, a, a portable hole, which is probably the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, well, wasn't become, there an X Men that had that power? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, a portal or something right. or whatever. Yeah, uh, but there's an X Man for everything. Right? Yeah, there's an X Man whose power is explosive farts. I mean, there's like, probably but, an X Man that can um, just make cartoon hammers with po- punching bags to pop out too, like boxing gloves. Right. Yeah. So, re- well, it was actually yeah. literally. If you want to talk about way, there's literally a comic book character that basically is Roger Rabbit. Yeah, slapstick. Uh, right. Named slapstick. Yeah, yes. Thank you. But, yeah. <laughs> if there um, isn't a character with the with the hammer thing, you know, Bishop can create one in about 20 minutes, probably. You know. <laughs> Well, well, like, the X Man the X Man Forge is like portable holes. No portable problem. holes. There you go. Yeah. No, but like even even the bit at the beginning, whenever um, Valiant walks into the bar above the the red car, and the one red car operator is like passed out, and Valiant puts the guy's hat back on, and they're like, "What yeah. happened to him?" It's like, "Oh, he just got laid off." It's like that all feeds into this bigger yeah. story going on. And even earlier, whenever Valiant. Um, tells the like the kids are like why don't you have a car which by the way they were handing out cigarettes on the back of oh, that cigarettes. truck whatever yeah yeah that's great Ugh. i wrote um, that down yeah children yeah. there's literally children taking a puff off of cigarette yeah. on the back of that truck giving him cigarettes yeah. no but he says yeah. to him he's like well i was gonna say that's actually a great moment for eddie valiant too because he gets on the, first of all he's he's not allowed on the train because he doesn't have any money yeah right. and so he does what the kids do which is shows his playful side as well as his uh his his ingenuity but he also they take the time to show him help the other kid who's falling behind right like the the kid's running up like wait and he's like come on come on and he helps them up onto the back i just realized i was like that that moment i think we really truly understand who eddie valiant is and, yeah. and that like, he's actually a really nice guy well he is says that kind of what you're getting yeah. at paul is like like could everything in here like even the you know the, even the small setups have payoffs yes. whereas a modern film would have to stop the entire movie and explain it to you three times yeah like well because even you know, like the kid says to him it's like why don't you have a car he's like why do i need a car we have the greatest transportation right. in the land it costs a nickel and then immediately we go and we see the red car's been bought out by cloverleaf and it's right. like it's yeah. one of those things that like it's there in front of you and then you find out that the red car operator has been like being let go um, and it's it's showing that Los Angeles is changing, but you don't necessarily know that that's tied into the bigger the story. Plot. And it's yeah, like, right. that's well, what, uh, yeah, your only signifier. I feel like the only signifier that it does work into the plot is Eddie Valiant takes note of it. Yeah. Right. Like he's like, they bought the red car. Like, you know, yeah. he's like, OK, that's a piece of information that I'm putting in the back of my head, which shows that even though Eddie Valiant is a drunk. And Eddie Valiant doesn't care, quote unquote, doesn't care anymore. You know, uh, he's still squirreling away information. There's always a mystery. Right. And he's trying to figure it out. But I trust Um, the audience to to – to but keep it does. up with the film. In a yeah. modern film, there'd be like a huge close up with like a halo over his head, like, ding, and, and, yeah. like you know, and, and a shifty eyed like, dog is, standing this in front is of important. the uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Judge Doom would stop the entire film at the end and be like, let me explain to you step by step, which he kind of does, but by he that does, point, right. it's like it ties it all together. You get like, you know, all that. But uh but Steve, I want to throw this to you from being a storyteller. Where do you where do you find the challenge in terms of like how much of a breadcrumb <clears> do you want to give out, or do you think you're being too heavy handed? And re, like developing your plot, like you know, in regards to what you watched here, like there's a lot of information, but it's told out in a way that if you're not paying attention, you're not going to get it. But if you're watching actively, you're like, shit, this movie's telling you this entire story. 
Well, I, I think you guys overlooked how cool those kids look smoking, by the way. I mean, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smoke if you got them, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, uh, the things that I took away, like you mentioned uh, the setups with uh, particularly the, the um, hammer or uh, mallet that uh, has the punching bag in it, the yeah. portable holes, stuff like that. Even the disappearing, reappearing ink you know, plays such a big part. Like, you don't even think about it. That happens 20 minutes in the film where he sprays him with the ink. Now, it is a little weird that he's like, ah, check out this gag, you know, at the, the nightclub. Well, it's also, it's also the introduction to the Acme guy, and so it, it's thrown in between, you know, a hundred other gags where it's easy to just go, okay, well, they just, they just wanted to show that gag, you know? There's also this idea throughout the run of the film that basically uh, as the film goes on, it's the gags are all what points to the mystery. Like all the cartoon nonsense is actually the most important plot elements in the entire film. But so the disappearing ink is like, once again, it's the cartoon gag throughout the film is, is what's pointing towards the real mysteries, the most important information in the film. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a brilliant concept where the thing is that the reality elements of the film are not as important as the childish thing. And that was something that I just thought of and I interrupted Steve and I apologize. And then my microphone went dead because I'm an asshole. Uh, oh, it's, shit. It, it, no, it's your, um, it's your, it's your uh, Acme reappearing, disappearing microphone that you have right now. <laughs> no, and I, I just, you know. <laughs> and it went away again. So Steve, please talk. Like, we're going Please respond. Uh, yeah, Nathaniel has to uh, up his Acme subscription here. All right. So, yeah. Well, why? Uh, I, I got lost there. Uh, no, um, watching movie today, like, it's such a throwaway thing, the, the disappearing, reappearing ink, and then it comes back at the end. I, I, I don't know that had it not come back at the end that you would have ever given it much thought because you're right, it is an introduction to that character, but, um, the way that it comes in at the very end of the, the movie, it's already been set up. You don't need any explanation for it. As soon as he starts reading the letter and you see the ink coming back, it all makes sense. So uh, I just think that's a, a, a great move. And I think that in modern films, they may actually try and tip the hand on something like that way too much. Well, and also too, like the bit in the bar, uh, whatever judge doom is looking for, for the rabbit. And then when they spill the entire barrel of dip on the floor and you see, uh, uh, Christopher, um, I was gonna say Christopher Lee. He was actually one of the guys they were going to bring. Christopher Lloyd, yeah, Christopher Lloyd. Um, yeah, he steps back subtly. Yeah, and it's like he has a bit of alarm when he steps back. It's like right. at first you wouldn't notice that, you know. Yeah, but like, at first you think he's just like, oh, I don't want to get that on my shoes. Uh, and it could he plays it in a way where it could go either way when you look at it, you know. It could play either way. Like in the moment, you just think he doesn't want to get it on his shoes, and then later on, you're like, oh no, he actually can't get near the stuff. Although I feel like he could because at the end, uh, his clothes and his shoes were left um, after he got dipped himself. Yeah, but it might just be that inherent like fear because we find out what he's right, really all right. about. But uh, but yeah, like, but, like also in that in that same scene, like I, I don't know if it's just on the Blu-ray, but I feel like at the theater you'd probably notice it too. Um, his makeup in that scene is noticeable. In the in his first scene, like you can tell where they've they've shaded and highlighted his face. Um, you can tell the fake nose. Um, I think that's just a Blu-ray thing. It's it's high def. Well, no, and also the teeth too. Like he has like perfect teeth. You know. Well, the teeth yeah. are obvious, obviously, yeah. But I, I was I was trying to figure out if like is this on purpose that we could see his makeup and that he's kind of 
next level from even the the other humans around him, um, would, or is they're just I trying would, to make him terrifying? You know, I would I would wager yes. I, I believe that they probably did uh, uh, create right. that on purpose. Yeah, yeah. So so Steve, uh, uh, what do you what Judge Doom? What do you what do you how do you feel about Christopher Lloyd and the character, and just how terrifying is is Judge Doom? I I don't know that. Uh, Christopher Lloyd gets nearly as much uh, adulation and respect as he does. Uh, not this week, but uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving, I uh, went back and rewatched uh, Adam's Family's Values because I oh, I always just yeah. watch the first yeah. one. Same. Um, so I was like, you know what? I haven't watched the second one in forever. But you think about it, like, and I know his his uh, Klingon from Star Trek Three is mocked. I actually really like Krug in Star Trek Three, um, but I think he's as do I. He he's great in pretty much anything you put him in, and this is no exception. Um, you know, he can be Uncle Fester, he can be Doc Brown, he can be he's a great character actor. And I don't right. know that there's I think there are a lot of people who would probably kill to have the kind of career that he's had and yeah. the roles that he's gotten. I think a lot of people wrote him off because they felt like he was just doing variations on his role from taxi. <laughs> but first of all, he's he's not. And second of all, like People are hiring him because they know he's good in that kind of role. Um, that's not here, but I mean more to the like the, the Doc Browns, the Uncle Festers. Um, this is a straight up you know nightmare uh, walking around. Uh, I, I don't I don't see much of any of his other work in this film, um, which is great. Uh, but I don't know how you guys feel about him in this. I think he's wonderful. I just I was reading some of the trivia, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I like the idea that he would have had various kangaroos stuffed in his pockets. Yeah, that whenever he that goes was... to pass judgment, much like you know Judge Dredd, like little kangaroos right. pop out and be like guilty, and he would just go along. And the idea that he would have had an animated vulture with him too; those are all fun ideas. But I think him being so straight laced and actually like not over yeah. the top with like cartoon stuff until the end makes him right. scarier. And um, and people yeah. people just accept him as you know, judge, jury, and executioner for Toontown, which is, you know, also kind of messed up in a way. I mean... Well, and speaking like of plot points I didn't pick up until this time around, uh, with Valiant's brother, they, they were chasing this, whatever this tune was, this crazy guy, right, into Toontown, and then, because uh, he stole a bunch of uh, tune bucks or whatever right. uh, from the bank there, and then he threw, he dropped a piano on Valiant's brother and got away. Earlier in the film, they're like, well, how did Judge Doom get elected to the Judge Toontown? Toontown? They're like, he spent money all over town. Right. It's like you figure out later, and, it's like it's the money he stole and that then got he him the judgeship. And then he killed the Acme guy by dropping a safe on him. Not a yeah. piano, but a safe. So it's, it, But also, you know. Yeah. So even then, you're like, oh. Like his, his um, getting elected was explained. Like, I just. Yeah. My gosh, it just it just blows my mind. Like you know, I don't know. Like, but there had to be a legal framework for him to be able to personally try on the spot and execute tunes for well, whatever reason if, he wants. If they, thought, mean, if they thought they were property and not real beings, do you need to have right. a due process to kill a shoe that honks? Which is still the saddest goddamn thing in the movie. The honking right, he didn't yeah. do nothing. He didn't do nothing. It's hard to watch. Yeah, that was sad. I was like, that little honking shoe, yeah. you know, that sounds like I'm like like bleeping myself, but that's really what it was. Uh, well, while we're yeah. on the topic of dip, I just want to ask this question at the end of the film. Isn't dip all over the floor when all the tunes run in? Yeah, but it went down the sewers and created the Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, because okay. Valiant turns on yeah, like the they, flood. They the, wash yeah. it. Yeah. And so oh, okay. how, how bizarre of an ending is that, though, when the tunes come rushing in and then there's the melted remains of a tune, but a deflated man costume that looks like he drank Viper from like you know from street trash. 
and just exploded. And everyone's like, hooray, it's time for a happy tune. It's like, and there's yeah, also a quick, yeah. A quick, try explaining this to the cops movie. Yeah. Well, and then another textbook, like not textbook, there's like a really, really quick joke in there. I don't know if you guys caught whenever they're like, well, we knew he wasn't a rabbit. We knew he wasn't this. And then there's Sylvester being like, and he wasn't a pussy. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like, did you just say that? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like the only time Sylvester the cat spoke the entire movie. I'm like, Holy shit. And like also earlier, whenever, um, uh, what's her name? Dolores said that she would have been to the theater earlier, but she had to go shake the weasels and there's a brief <laughs> pause. Like yeah. there's some wonderful yeah. bits in this movie, but anyway, yeah. All the tunes dancing around a melted man. Um, a little grim, love it. A yeah. little grim. So, well, I, I, I was going to say, uh, and I think in this film that, uh, there's something inherently terrifying about this film anyway. Like, the idea that tunes exist. And I mean, they even talk about the idea, like there's no way to kill a tune right. until. They're basically, and so I'm like, they're basically gods. They're they gods. Whatever. They're gods. They can't, you yeah. can't kill them. And the only reason, the only reason why they are, they're, they're kind of held down or, or used for labor is because they operate on a certain set of rules, right. which is to entertain. Um, but if they, all it took is one. And of course that's the idea behind judge doom is there's just one tune who figured out I can break out of this and I'll, I'll I can commit, but that's terrifying. I mean, the idea that, uh, that, I uh, just, the idea that like, you know, like even Roger rabbit could be like, ha ha, I'm going to play a joke on this guy. And it's like, I'm going to tear out your chest. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah. And I like the idea too. It's like where like Valiant's like, wait, you're going to eliminate Toontown and just build a freeway. He's like, that's crazy. Only a tomb will come up with that. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they did in real life. Yep. <laughs> they did in real life. All right. So, um, yeah. So I think, I think we should, uh, you know, get to, to wrapping it up here. Cause like at the devil's ball is they're really, really good at like having their shows go one hour versus us when we go for 17. Uh, so, uh, final thoughts about the film. Um, what do you guys like? I, I know Nathaniel said this has been one you've not seen for a bit. And I know Sam, you said you've not went been watched this one recently. So final thoughts right. about who frame Roger rabbit. Uh, for me, um, it's, it's just, uh, for me, I love the idea of a, uh, I love film noir anyway, uh, always have. And, uh, and so Eddie Valiant is just a wonderful character in my opinion. Um, and just, uh, I, I don't know if Robert Zemeckis gets enough credit for this film. Uh, I often feel like if anybody mentions Bob Zemeckis, it's usually like Forrest Gump sucks and it's, uh, and I'm like. Well, yeah, he did do Back to the Future. He gets respect for that. But, I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's one of these, this groundbreaking piece of animation that I don't think has ever really been successfully duplicated. Right. Um, even today, like, watching a Star Wars prequel and being like, you know, ba which is basically Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's like one guy talking to a bunch of cartoons. Um, it doesn't even look as good now as it did then. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think this film, I, I hope it remains uh, uh, timeless. And I, I think that making setting it in the 1940s was a perfect way to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think this film is just a, a wonderful piece of, uh, of, of American filmmaking. And uh, I'm really, really glad to have watched it again. Yeah, but much like how... I'm sorry, go ahead. 
much like how um, you know when when Spielberg's involved producing a film, he gets all the credit for the entire film. Um, it also rolls down to Robert Zemeckis uh, directing the film. He gets a lot of credit for this, but nobody really talks that much about you know Richard Williams, the animation yes. director mm-hmm. who won an Oscar for this. I mean, it couldn't have been done without a team lift. I mean, there's there's no two ways around it. Um, and I just wanted to say that you know. Everybody who saw this at a certain age had 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 some feelings about Jessica Rabbit, I think. <laughs> but Rob Leefield saw it and said, "I want to draw that for the rest of my life." <laughs> are you nope. are you laying his anatomy <laughs> issues on 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 the on who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I mean, have you seen how she's drawn? Yes, <laughs> she um, has, he's, he just doesn't she work. Has no feet. He has no feet. Therefore, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Jessica uh-huh. Rabbit is as bad as a Leafield drawing. I'm saying Leafield is bad at drawing Jessica Rabbit. I just wanted him to believe me. Like, you know what? Any, she also doesn't have. She doesn't really have any pouches. That's either, what I was going to say. So. I was like, <laughs> he's like, you know, perfect thing would be pouches. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Steve, uh, rebuttal about Rob Blyfeld and his art style. For, no, like, and, and your thoughts about Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh my god! I almost squirted coffee out of my nose just now. <laughs> so. I, I won't uh, I, I won't do this too much here because uh, we're gonna get an episode in at a shorter time, thankfully. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say, you know, in the spirit of what they do on the Devil's Ball, uh, it, it is easy to trash Rob Liefeld, but I always admire his enthusiasm and energy. Like that's true. At even if whatever he can't he's get it, doing, he turned it on time. <laughs> right. Even what he's doing, though, he's always excited for it, and like he'll. You know, I've never really been a fan of Liefeld's artwork, but I will say that, like, hearing him talk about comics and the potential of comics and what they can do, I always give him props because he's he's the most positive guy. I think I so he's like Eli Roth of comic books. <laughs> that's probably a, that's probably a very fair comparison. <laughs> but uh, onto the movie, I, I, you know, it is a movie that. I don't think we'll ever see the likes of it again. And I'm actually surprised that they didn't make attempts and maybe they did. And I'm unaware to, you know, make sequels. And I, I know that particularly with all the IP that's involved in the film, I'm sure that that was a one and done deal. I'm sure that like it would be too many companies wanting too much money to try and include all those different characters. But uh, yeah, Yeah, they're not going to do a sequel to that until uh, Wade Wilson buys it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I, I just I think it's a tremendous film. I think it's a a, 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 a such a unique movie that we're we've not seen something like it since, and we probably never will. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you had Disney. Uh, they they knew that they had Spielberg on board uh, to produce, so they you know they push their budgets up a little bit because uh, he was like he he could do no wrong at that point, and you know for the most part he still hits it out of the park a lot of the time. Uh, you had a interesting animation process. You had an, an interesting idea. Uh, I think this is the film that kind of brought Disney back to the forefront with animation a little bit. It also kind of got people's uh, interest peaked in the golden age again, right? So, like, I think this film did a lot to reestablish Disney as something to to look at and consider. So, uh, I this movie's great. I love it. Um, I just haven't seen it in a few years, um, and it's a good rewatch. Uh, as Stephen mentioned, it is available on Disney Plus. Which at first I didn't think to look there. I don't know why, because mm-hmm. I was like, it's a Touchstone film. I'm like, well, who owns Touchstone? Oh yeah, Disney. Um, so, and I didn't realize the documentary was on there. So yeah, check it out. Uh, yeah, this was a good film to end our year of animation about because this is, 
it's a, you know it is animated. It's just there there is an amazing technique here. There is there is magic on almost every frame. Um, uh, you get you get a guy who gets his tie shoved into a film editing machine, like a daily machine, and he gets shot. So for a family film, you definitely see also almost almost get their head cut off, but then shot in the back multiple times. Kids movie, um, so whatever. Um, so yeah, this this film is great, and I loved it. I'm it's glad it's a it, classic for yeah, a reason. Yeah, it's a, a wonderful. Uh, so yeah, I think that's going to do our far discussion about who framed Roger Rabbit. Again, thank you guys, thank you Nathaniel and Samuel for coming Thanks on for, for having us at the Devil's Ball. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tell tell people how they can find you and 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 stuff, and what's coming up next for you guys. Uh, well, we're available on Twitter uh, at Devils underscore at. Um, and uh, please follow us there if you're listening to that and you use Twitter. Uh, we uh, what's up next is we've got a little out of the way uh, Christmas film, kind of Christmas film called Dead End uh, that will be released uh, probably tomorrow. And then we're recording on uh, another a uh, all ages, so to speak, Steven Spielberg film Gremlins. Uh, obviously really directed by Joe Dante, but it's another film that everybody says is Steven Spielberg. And we just did Krampus, which is another classic. Krampus is great. Yeah. And we are available uh, pretty much anywhere podcasts are. We're on Spotify, iTunes, uh, everywhere else. So, uh, yeah, hit us up. We'd love to, we'd love to have more listeners. Um, please. We don't have any, um, <laughs> so, Funny, even like, my like, mom won't do, listen to us. I was gonna say, do, do you think yeah. you're gonna get the bump from our show? I don't know about that. I think it's gonna be the other way around. I don't know. Like you know, what, you think we're gonna uh, drag your uh, show? Down? No, I just <laughs> <laughs> that that seems well, probably yeah yeah we're yeah we're just the we're the Yoko Ono of uh, uh, of podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. So no, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, and so uh, thank yeah, you. Uh, just to, to pimp our wares for a second, you guys can find us on uh, Invasion of the Podcast. We're on Facebook. You could uh, email us directly at invadingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and again, if, if you enjoyed this conversation, check out At the Devil's Ball. And if you like our conversation, tell other people about it. The more the merrier. This is a lot of fun. And I think uh, right now, everybody needs to stay indoors and watch movies and then listen to a bunch of people talk about movies. Why not? There's you know, worse things you could do. Like, I don't know, be outside. So do that. And Steve, how can people find you and the wonderful things that you're doing right now? Uh, you can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And you can go to my Etsy store and buy a copy, copy of the comic or some pins or stickers or prints, some fun stuff there. So Art of the Slash is the store. Go check it out. Perfect. All right. So next week we're going to do our holiday episode, which is not really a holiday episode, but Steve has been um, dragging his feet for quite some time being the Batman and Superman fan that we're finally okay. going to talk about Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, kind of an honor of Wonder Woman 84 coming out on Christmas Day since this is her first appearance in the DC whatever it is now. Uh, but Steve is going to, he's going to man up and we're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it. We're actually going to have, he's going to man a steal up. He's going to man a steal up. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to, uh, he's just going to break Zod's neck. That's why he's in the crystal prison. That's what happened. See, it all ties together. Uh, we're going to have, uh, uh, Joe, uh, the, the you know, former co-host invasion on, uh, he has thoughts about that movie as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to hear Steve, um, just sob openly while talking about this movie, uh, just out of frustration. So I think it's going to be good. So it's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a 
good week. Have a safe week. And um, yeah, I usually have something witty that's not really witty. I got nothing now uh, other than if you're going to buy bullets, like, I don't, I don't know, um, don't make them kind of weirdly racist when they shatter bottles of alcohol. <laughs> Maybe that's what I got. That's all I got. He went that away. You had plenty money, 1922. You let other women make a fool of you. Why don't you do right like some other man? Sitting down and wondering why